We made USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. Restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boys in the Band podcast. Yes, this is my podcasting voice. It's not irony. It's not rock and roll. We're just talking to the kids, Rich. Yes, indeed, mate. Yeah, very good. <laughs> if you're wondering what on earth Pete's doing, then you're not familiar with the lyrics to Art Brute's brilliant breakthrough single, Form the Band. <laughs> I'm pretty confident the majority of listeners to this Art Brute special uh, podcast will be familiar with that one, Rich. Um, yes, that's right. This week we're joined by Art Brute's lead singer, Eddie Argos. And of course, we asked him about that iconic debut single. And Form the Band is like half a speech or half a thing like it's said in the moment. Like even in it, the lyric, um, yes, this is my singing voice. That's because when we were in the studio recording it, with Keith Topper Pops, um, I started singing and he stopped everything and went, are you okay, mate? <laughs> I gave you a glass of water. I'm like, no, I'm okay, this is my singing voice. Ah. Yeah, I mean, Art Brute, there's so many good sort of one-liners, cheeky lines, uh, particularly on that debut album, Rich. Yeah, definitely. They definitely had that little bit some, that little bit of something about them, didn't they? That something special, that, that humour that people really bought into and made them stand out from the crowd. And uh, I think the same on this podcast as well, actually. Eddie is great value, really humorous guy, um, lots of funny stories. He talked to us was all the way through their, their Hit Pack debut album, uh, gave us a little insight into a bit of a public spat with a famous indie star, uh, rubbing shoulders with Oasis, and, um, and also their comeback after seven years out. Uh, his love of art, comics, living in Germany. You know, there's, there's a lot yeah. in this. Yeah, we packed a lot in, didn't we? Yeah, it was um, it's a really good chat. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the Art Brute story from the start with Eddie Argos. Um, and of course, remember, check us out on social media. Just search for Boys in the Band Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And we've got a special little Art Brute giveaway as well. So make sure you get onto one of our pages and find out how you can enter for that one. And please also rate and review the podcast too. But for now, here's Eddie Argos of Art Brute. Enjoy. All right, Eddie, thanks for joining us today on the Boys in the Band podcast. How are you doing? Good. I'm good, thanks. Excellent. Good stuff, Eddie. Yeah, good to have you on the show. Now, like any good gig, we like to kick off these podcasts with what we call a sound check. So it's three quick-fire questions. And uh, the first one is, where in the world are you? Because obviously we're speaking over a video call today. I am in uh, Berlin. Oh, Berlin. What takes you out there? I've lived here for um, well, nearly a decade, actually. Oh, right. So you're well settled in, yeah. Oh, I can't speak any German yet. <laughs> I could get a passport. If I could speak German, I could get a passport. So I need to quickly learn German. Aren't you guys all watching German football now? Is that what's happening in the UK? Because you can't watch English football or something? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. The Bundesliga is uh, taken, uh, uh, suddenly become a lot more popular. <laughs> I know nothing about football, but I get tweets all the time now. People going, oh, San Pauli, it's a football team. I'm like, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, hips the, hips the football team, isn't it? Is it? Well, they're, oh, they're just a very left-wing progressive football team. They used to um, <laughs> they used to play. Um, their sponsor was Jack Daniels on their shirt, and um, they used to play like they drink it. <laughs> they, used to, <laughs> they used to play in like camouflage, camouflage with their colour and stuff. I love Hamburg. Yeah, their fans. Awesome. That song's about their fans really look after. I was in Hamburg. I'm completely by myself. I was lonely. I think I had an argument with my band. I went into a pub and all these San Paolo supporters looked after me. And they're all kind of punks. So all I needed to say was, punk rock is Nick at all. <laughs> <And> immediately <laughs> became their friend. It was amazing. 
Brilliant. Yeah. So talking to punk rock, are there uh, any any bands that you're particularly into right now, Eddie? Uh, Badiga, I like. Um, yeah. Keep forgetting the name. The Cheek Face, I like a lot. I'm into that at the moment. What did I listen to this morning? Yeah, this is weird. There's a, there's a um, Phil from the June Bride shared it on Facebook. It's like a 15 year old girl in America. She's called Juniper. I've been playing that all day actually. <laughs> it's very strange, but it's, it's oh. brilliant. Juniper. It's called some band camp. I'll go and have a listen. Excellent. Um, now, Eddie, obviously, we've been locked down for quite a while now, but um, we were going to ask you, what's the best gig you've been to in the past year? I know you were touring with the subways, weren't you, just before uh, before yeah, lockdown happened? Yeah, the subways. Still, yeah, I mean, I love playing with them. The last, uh, maybe the Nightingales. I saw the Nightingales last year. Um, their album's just out there. Your album is really good. They're like, they've been around forever, the Nightingales. Maybe for as long as I've been alive, almost. Well, they were the prefects before. And, um, oh, there's a cat. That way. <laughs> and, um, they've been, um, yeah, they get better and better, which is amazing. They've been around for like 20 years or something. More, 30 cool. years. And uh, yeah, they're amazing. So I think the, yeah, the Nightingales, I saw them in Berlin last year, I think. Brilliant. Excellent. I imagine, yeah, lots of good bands come to Berlin. It uh, must be a good good place to go and watch live music. Um, now, Eddie, when I was writing these, these soundtrack questions, like, so we normally just have three quick fire questions, but you know, I was also tempted to ask you, you know, when was the last time you saw Emily Kane, or how do you feel about modern art these days? You know, I just love modern like, art. Sound. Modern art's great. So Still loving we modern art. We're supposed to have a single out. Um, we just recorded a 16-minute version of modern art um, for Record Store Day. I think that's in August now, maybe Record Store Day or June. I'm not sure when it is, but the, um, yeah, I love modern art. Still, but I love it so much. I love it more now. So I love it so much. The song has grown. <laughs> like that original song's like two and a half minutes longest. Like live, it's like 20 minutes sometimes. Well, like modern art, was that ten times more, hundred times more? Yeah, love it. <laughs> Emily Kane. I've not seen her. She came to a show in. I mean, the last time I saw her, we did this thing at the Yulu, like oh, more than ten years ago. No, about ten years ago, where we um had a horn section and um and a string section, and Emily Kane came to those nights. That's the last time I saw her. And my brother was there too. So Emily Kane and my brother were on the set list and the guest list. <laughs> Very cool. How how did she feel about being um, sort of immortalised in this uh, this classic art group song? Shy. She's quite shy, but I think she when she's married with the kids, and, stuff, I think, and it was kind of mad of me to think. I think about the other day that like, it was only it only been what do I say in the song ten years, whatever that is, was accurate at the time. That's not really a very long. I don't know, stranger. I think maybe she was freaked out. <laughs> she was always nice about it. I think I heard some. Um, so I was going through some old CDs to find songs because we just reissued Bang Bang Rock and Roll. And I found some old versions of like Emily Kane we did, like XFM and stuff. And I'm really intense. I'm like, oh, I still love you at the end of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you? And I thought, well, no wonder she was a bit scared of me. That's quite, it's a bit too far, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, she's nice. I think she likes it. I mean, I'm, yeah, her, her husband, I met him as well. He's really nice. Great stuff. I'm sure uh, Pete could probably spend all evening quizzing you on Art Brute lyrics, but um, but let's take it back to uh, to where it all began first, Eddie. So 2003, uh, when Art Brute were formed, tell us how the band came together in the first place. Um, well, I've been in bands forever in Bournemouth. I've been in a band called the Art Goblins, and um, I didn't go to university or anything, but everyone in the Art Goblins kept going to university without me. So I had to like, I kept starting new bands, new Art Goblins. Of the next generation, of the next generation. And I was getting older and older, and the Art Goblins were getting younger and younger. So it was getting a bit embarrassing. So like, the last time the Art Goblins sort of disbanded, so some of them went to London, 
So I followed them to London to be in a band too. And then they weren't in the band anymore. But I had to spend, I spent my whole time like crawling around parties and pubs asking people to be in a band with me. Like, I'd like lie and say I could sing like Aretha Franklin. <laughs> like, you know, my dad knows someone about all this stuff. It didn't really work. And then one night I was at a party and I told the truth. I said, I, I can't sing and I'm, I just really want to be in a band. To this guy, Christian Schiller, I just met. And he was really nice. And he said, yeah, I'll start a band with you. And then, yeah, his Freddie was his next door neighbor. She learned the bass just to be in the band. And I realized that um, maybe when Chris actually heard what I sing, he might kick me out. <laughs> the, way, the way I sing. So I got my friend Ian from Bournemouth to be in the band. He also moved to London. And then we couldn't find a drummer for ages. My friend Nick was a drummer for us, but he made it pretty clear he did not like our music. And he said he'd only be in the band for as long as he could find a different drummer. So he went around <laughs> looking for drummers. And eventually he found Mike, like drunk on the tube, and convinced him to be in the band. I was thinking it's very strange. Like, how do you convince somebody to replace you? Like, oh, I'm in this band. I think it's shit. <laughs> do you want to be in it? I don't know. But yeah, luckily Mike joined. And that was it. And then we were our group. Cool. So that's how the members came together. But how did you sort of decide on, you know, the type of music and the type of, you know, lyrical style, I guess, that Art Brute would go with? What, was I, there a I conscious kind of, decision? Kind of. Well, no, that's probably sort of told the long story of how we met, really, because we just, it was like, we're just a bunch of random dudes. I mean, they used to be like, there's this guy who used to drive us around, this tour manager, and he, I, he told other people, they told us afterwards, he said we were like the raggy dolls. <laughs> he couldn't understand how we all knew each other, you know, I think like, I think that's a big part of what we sound like our group, really. Like, I mean, I was obsessed with Jonathan Richmond. But me and Christian Schiller first met, we said, oh, that sounds like David Von and his spirit wife. Do you know the band David Von and his spirit wife? Like, he sings like David Von. There's no way we could sound like David Von and his spirit wife. <laughs> but we both love that band. Ian, like, loves metal. Freddie was into, like, grunge. Mike, you know, like, Weezer and nothing else. It, it was like, it was just a weird combination of people. The only people that would be in a band with each other, you know? So it was, I think, just doing real big show-offs. I like writing autobiographical songs. It all just sort of fell into, it's like a weird accident, <laughs> I think, Arbro. I think we can sound, I think we sound like that. I think we sound like a random bunch of people. I think, like I see bands like Suede or, you know, they look like a band. They're all like in leather jackets. They look kind of, my band doesn't look like that. We all look completely different from each other. You know, yeah. we don't really look like a, yeah, there's no uniform in Arbro, you know. So um, the single Formed a Band would have been the first track a lot of people would have heard uh, from Art Brute, and it kind of sums up that kind of uh, initial approach. Um, and I know there's an interesting story that Anthony Thornton from The Enemy played a big part in getting it put out by Rough Trade. Um, so tell us a bit about the story behind that song, how it was written and how it came to be re being released. Yeah, well, we wrote it. Um, we'd always rehearsed in a place called Scar and Camden. And it was like, I liked it because you got free tea and coffee you know, and biscuits. So you could pay £10 an hour, but I can definitely drink £10 worth of this tea in an hour. <laughs> so I used to like it for that reason. But the sound there was terrible. Like, it was under a railway arch. So I've been getting away for ages by mumbling into the microphone and not really saying any lyrics, you know. And then Mike joined the band, and he's like, we can't rehearse it, but I can't hear anything. So we went to this other place to rehearse. But the sound was really good. And I went in the room, and I suddenly was very aware that maybe they've not heard me sing before and stuff. <laughs> so I thought I had to make a speech to sort of keep me in the band. So like Form the Band is kind of like a speech I wrote, everything we can achieve. And I just, I just sort of, half of it I wrote, half of it I just made up on the spot. It's really funny that became like a song. I spend lots of time now. When I write songs, I spend forever changing bits and changing it live and stuff. And Form the Band is like half a speech I wrote and half a thing I just said in the moment. 
like even in it, the lyric, um, yes, this is my singing voice. That's because when we were in the studio recording it with Keith Top of the Pops, um, I started singing and he stopped everything and went, are you okay, mate? <laughs> Can I get you a glass of water? I'm like, no, I'm okay, this is my singing voice. Ah, then I put it in the, in the song <laughs> to let him know. So yeah, we just kind of, yeah, it just sort of came about just for me. I was just very excited to be in the band. I've been trying to be in the band for years. So I just was very happy and excited. And then we were all quite, um, I don't say lazy, nervous maybe about playing live and stuff, but Christian Chiller was a real driving force. And he like made us go and record it to be, to get gigs, but to, to play to venues and stuff. And so it's the very first thing we recorded this for the band, just like in an afternoon on a Saturday, with Keith Topper Pops. And um, yeah, and then he's, he's really organized. He's like the opposite of me. So he, he sent the CD, he had to post CDs then, yeah. He sent the CD to everybody. And it got in the hands of um, Angular Records, who were putting gigs on South and South London, and they put it on their compilation. And then they sent that compilation out, and Anthony Thornton heard it, and he said there should be a single, and then Rough Trade got in touch and signed it. And we were so um, disorganized. But like, the day, because it was free on our website, for ages for the band, it's like a free download on our website. And Rough Trade phoned us up the day before it was released and said, oh, by the way, it's still free on your, you take it off the website. <laughs> it's going to be, it's on sale tomorrow. It's like, oh yeah, whoops. But yeah, I forgot. Like, that was the B-side. We wrote, we wrote that, just like, that's what he, that weekend was like, oh shit, we need the B-side. And like, we wrote it in like an afternoon. Yeah, <laughs> how that happened. Incredible, yeah. I love how those songs came together so quickly and so sort of naturally. Um, and obviously, yeah, formed a band, the first single off Bang Bang Rock and Roll. And um, as you mentioned earlier, it's been re-released 15th anniversary, 15 years on. So how do you feel about that album now when you look back at it, back at it all, these, all these years on? Yeah, I mean, I'm proud of it. I, love it. I mean, I love how much other people love it too. I ended up putting so much of myself into that record. You know, like loads, my brother's a real person. Emily's a real person. It's all like, mm. you know, as honest as I could be at the time about stuff. So it's nice that people, it's still, it's there. <laughs> you know, it's like this thing I made that still, people still like it and excited about it. And then we play those songs live and stuff. So it's, yeah, yeah, I'm proud of it. I'm proud. It's weird, like I update all the songs and stuff. My, my little brother's 38 now, you know. So like, whenever I sing that live, I feel very old. <laughs> he's only 30, he's not out of control. Yeah. <laughs> Does he still listen to B-sides and... Uh... Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he, he had much better taste in music than me. Great stuff. And that album obviously came out uh, May 2005, that was. And it was hugely well-received at the time. And it wasn't long. You know, by October that year, you were supporting Oasis. And uh, yeah. what, were, what was it like to be on tour, tour with them? Were, you know, were they fans? Did you ever catch them chanting Art Brute, Top of the Pops at you? Liam Gallagher watched us. We did two or three nights. And Liam Gallagher watched us every night. Which was amazing. And he said to like our guitar tech, um, we were playing modern art, he's like, fucking have it. <laughs> <laughs> like, like rocking out to this his favourite art group song. But it was good. <laughs> the, um, yeah, we played, yeah, it was good. They were really nice to us. They were still friends then. So we went to their dressing room and stuff, which was nice, hang out with them. But like, I used to stand very still on stage, pointing, moving to LA. <laughs> and Liam Gallagher also stands really still on stage. Uh, so I didn't know what to say to him. So I was like, ah, I stand really still on stage. You stand really still on stage. Are you good at standing still on stage? And he was like, yeah, I'm the fucking master of standing still. And then he just didn't move. <laughs> like two minutes, he's a complete still. And I told, them that, um, I told them that us supporting them was like in my head. It was like half man, half biscuit, supporting you too. And then Liam was like, he really did say, oh, kid, oh, kid. It's like, no, 
he likes half man half biscuit and apparently there's the share a bedroom and Noel would play half man half biscuit and it would annoy Liam and they'd both sang me like the Trumps and Riots. It was kind of amazing. Oh, Oasis is singing me a half man half biscuit song. This is what I thought being in a band would be like. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. Yeah, okay, let's have that. And then the thing too, I used to, I always used to chant the band we were playing with's name, like in, in Good Weekend. Like it was like the hot puppies, top of the pops, or the chalets, top, whoever we were playing with. And because we never really afford to support anybody, I never had a band above us before. And I was like, Oasis, top of the pops. And then like 7,000 people started chanting Oasis. And I couldn't stop them. You just couldn't hear <laughs> I made an entire sports arena chant Oasis over our last song. But yeah, it was good. That was great. They were really nice. And yeah, Liam Gallagher changed his clothes like three times before they played. <laughs> it was pretty good. Yeah, great, great experience. And um, yeah, I mean, the band, the band were really sort of, yeah, making making waves at that time. I, I remember you always used to say when we used to see you live, "Yeah, they, we're really big in Japan." Or is it was this true? Was this? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, fact check. Yeah, I'd be like, "Wait, good weekend." Though. He'd be like, "Number one in." I used to end it by saying, "Disneyland, Narnia, former Yugoslavia." <laughs> we could have probably guessed that was exaggerating. Well, we do, we do it all right, but yeah, we were, we weren't number one in Japan or. America. But this is the thing about this is the thing about our fruit, wasn't it? Because you, know, you had to try and cut through what was real and what wasn't. Because there's this, <laughs> there's this story about this Berlin University, is it, giving a lecture about you? Is this that true? was true. That was true. Yeah, yeah. The depressive dandy. Now, I was here. We played a big show in Berlin, um, like the day before that. But we made the um, the direct hit video. We made that in Berlin. It was the same day as the lecture, so I couldn't go to the lecture. I'd love to have gone, but what they're talking about? <laughs> this is great. The depressive dandy. I thought some of those songs are quite sad that first record i got in touch i released the lyric book and i tried to get in touch with the people that did the um did the lecture i couldn't find them. loads of kids right it. they were like oh we were there it was great <laughs> who was in charge of this yeah it's, it's quite a prestigious university wow yeah it's true yeah. really yeah and people don't believe that but that really happened <laughs> i remember got a girl on mark riley he was like but you're an idiot <laughs> how's that happen like in a nice way you know like it's true. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Just, it's just amazing, isn't it? How, yeah, as you say, sort of some friends who got together at a, uh, at a party, formed a band, and and then it just leads to these these sort of uh, amazing stories and amazing experiences. But New Cross was sort of the spiritual home for the band, I guess. And I remember seeing you at Amish Shamans quite a few times, which is quite mm -hmm. a really really nice indie venue there, nice uh, space out the back for for bands to play. Um, yeah, what are your memories of that sort of what's going on right, around South London? It's been a real scene, you know, South London scene. Thing was, you know, it was a long, long bit there from Sheffield, <laughs> but they, they were there a lot. You know, the rocks, the boyfriends, we were all, it was like a real scene. We all helped each other out, you know, we all went to watch each other's shows and supported each other. It was tight, but I've got loads of my best friends are from that time still, you know, it was kind of amazing. But yeah, I moved to London to be in a band. I moved to Camden, that's, that's where the action's at. And I spent all of my weekends traveling to New Cross <laughs> on the train <laughs> from Camden, getting three night buses home. But yeah, it was great. I mean, all those bands, I mean, we even played with Block Party when I mean, they supported us. They were called The Union. We played with them at the Paradise Bar, stuff like that. It was like, you know, it was so funny. Everyone was in New Cross. We, we played Damage Farms and we played Goldsmiths. And we played, the, the, the beginning, we played the Paradise Bar like all the time, like a lot. And I, like I had a floor that lit up. I remember that, the Paradise Bar. And also, I remember that I used to, we used to project um, like things behind us, like little mottos and things. And I plugged in, I was a really old, like 1970s projector. And I unplugged the sound desk and plugged it in. I had the sound man shouting at me. What a confident young man, yeah, to walk into a venue, second or third ever gig, unplug the mixing desk, plug in my 70s 
my 70s projector I got really shouts that but they were nice in the end we were there a lot yeah and you um obviously that, that sort of scene them sort of mixing in together sort of led to uh collaborating as well i know you've done a fair few bits with other bands like we are scientists for example uh, but actually you mentioned block party block party were one of those that you seem to have uh, that you didn't seem to get on as well with and there were sort of some more public spats yeah i had lots of spats just that one one, one sort of elongated one <laughs> I, I i can't remember yeah like i got drunk at glastonbury in an interview and because Block Party, I think we just played with Oasis and Block Party were being mean about Oasis and saying how they couldn't write songs and they were just ripping off, they were just ripping off old riffs and stuff. And I said in that interview, the Block Party are doing the same, you know, it's just a different decade. They're ripping off the Gang of Four, it's still just nonsense about helicopters. <laughs> you know? okay. And then Kelly read that, I didn't, I didn't have a laptop until like 2007, so I sort of forgot and I'd done it. <laughs> and then Kelly was like dedicating songs to me from the stage at Tea in the Park. I couldn't work out why. He was like, this is for Fatty Argos. I'm like, what? <laughs> Fatty Argos. And then he went on like T4. I said, who are you excited to see today? He was like, Fatty Argos. Like, what? Fatty Argos? I was going like, that's all my friends were texting. Weird. And then, and then I saw him. It was also not very nice. That's the kind of comment that killed Karen Carpenter, you know, calling people fat. And the, um, he, what happened? We were in a nightclub and I saw him and he kept coming over to me. I was like, I kept saying, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. And he kept pushing me, and I was like, I'm really sorry I said what I said to a journalist, but to be fair, you are quite moany. Like a moany thing. So he punched me square in the head. <laughs> and then kicked me and got thrown out. It went on for years. Yeah, it was weird. In the, in the paper, they said that, it was like in the Daily Star or something, they said that he was a, he was a front man and I was a singer. I got it like that. The front man from Block Party punched the singer from our group. Wrong way around. Yeah, it was all right. It was a funny old time, yeah. Have you, made, have you made up since, or is it still no. tetchy? <laughs> I've not, not really seen him. I saw yeah. him at an award show, and, but we didn't really speak. He actually didn't make eye contact with me. We go, all right, <laughs> this is still going on then. Okay, yeah. oh, a long time ago. <laughs> okay, we'll take a pause there, Eddie. Um, join us in part two, where we'll be discussing what came next for the band, including what happened with their record label, uh, their return after a seven-year hiatus, and we'll also quiz Eddie about his love of comic books. Stick with us. Hello, I'm Argos. You're listening to the Boys in the Band podcast. You're listening to the Boys in the Band podcast. For more naughty nostalgia, check out our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages and make sure you hit subscribe to the podcast for more interviews like this. Welcome back to the Boys in the Band podcast. Now, Eddie, we've discussed Bang Bang Rock and Roll, and uh, in 2007, you followed out with It's a Bit Complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris had left the band uh, in late 2005, and he replaced by Jeff Future. So, um, you know, you said you wanted this second album to sound bigger and more polished. Do you think you achieved that? Um, NME, I think, said at the time, it put you on the brink of mainstream acceptance, whatever that is. But um, <laughs> how you, how'd you feel about that second album? Yeah, I mean, I like it. It's, yeah, I didn't mean achieve what I wanted to make a big pop album about relationships. But, and that is kind of what we did. Yeah, I mean, it was nice. It was, I've, I've been, because Bang Bang Rock and Roll kept getting released because we were like lots of different independent labels, you know. Like it came out in the UK and then the UK for ages touring it and then it came out in Germany and we toured here for ages and then France. So like two and a half years in America, we were in America for ages touring that record. So I was, and I sort of forgot I had to write another one, <laughs> you know, because it's like, yeah, oh, this is fun. We'll just tour this forever. Oh shit! Yeah, he's running the record. So when, when we came back, we didn't even really stop to to record. We sort of just we were one of those bands, you know. Like we went. I remember like being in the middle of it, and um, 
we went to Russia for like a week, you know, it was like, we were never really there. We were sort of, that's not how I like to record anymore. Like we were recording it like in bits and pieces. I mean, I'm happy with it. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, so another really good album, but um, it's only eight, eight months after that though. Um, EMI put out, EMI were your record label and they put out uh, your third single, Pump Up the Volume, but forgot to tell you about it. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. well, we were really, we were like, what, I can't believe it. Download only, that's insane. I mean, that's normal now, isn't it? <laughs> we were like, what, <laughs> only a download? I demand a seven inch. I demand two CDs with different beat sites. And um, yeah, but I mean, EMI was going through some stuff there. It was weird. We were like, we sounded to EMI and we were like, oh, we've been like on a shoestring budget forever. We were like, oh, brilliant, EMI. We're going to be, you know, this is going to be amazing. We're going to, we can suddenly afford to like support other bands. <laughs> we can like do all that stuff that other but real bands do. Yeah. And then they went bankrupt immediately. <laughs> like, remember that Jasper being on the plane, like reading the paper, they like. So yeah, I mean, that was, they, were, they gave us our album back after that, which was kind of nice. I mean, I know so many bands that signed to that label at the same time as us. Like the Little Ones and Paul Tiger Tell, I think, like they didn't get their albums back. You know, they put all that time. We were lucky. Our album came out and we managed to get the rights back. Somebody managed just lost, yeah, lost their albums. Mm. Yeah, this uh, yeah record label issues appears to be a recurring theme as we we talk to bands from from this era, unfortunately. Probably a label I haven't been on. <laughs> <laughs> well, cooking vinyl was the next one, wasn't it, for the third yeah. album, Mark Bruce yeah, versus Satan. Yeah. But that gave you the chance to work with Frank Black, who we know is the lead singer of the Pixies. So that, mm. that sounds like another great experience and that, when that album came out in 2009. That was amazing. Yeah, I mean, he, he'd written, I mean, he really likes It's A Bit Complicated. And he had chosen Jealous Guy on, on, on It's A Bit Complicated because I was having trouble writing songs. I just chose like five famous songs, like Jealous Guy, Pump Up The Volume, I Will Survive. And I changed the lyrics to like write pop songs. A Jealous Guy, not a cover of John Lennon, Jealous Guy by us, was um, one of Frank Black's favourite songs of the year. Yeah, he said, yes, that was, it was that easy. We emailed him and said, hello, we're our group. I saw you like our music. Do you want to produce our next record? And the rest was history. Okay. Charmed <laughs> life. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't ask, if you don't ask, <laughs> you don't sleep. Huh? <laughs> yeah, it was great. We did that in like a week and a half. It's, I mean, that, that's how I like to record now. We, went, we spent so much time sort of fiddling around with, which is great. I love, I love it. It's a bit complicated. And it sounds like a big pop record. Everything we planned and Dan Swifty produced it, it's amazing. But then we went, I don't really, that's not what I like about being in the studio. So Frank Black with his band, The Catholics, he records everything in one or two takes, one take mainly. And um, that's exactly what I wanted. Well, I think if I sing something more than three times, it loses its honesty, you know? So like recording with him was brilliant. He gave us so much confidence and we just were in tune, we thought the same way, you know? Like he just sort of conducted us, play your song or play that a bit longer, stretch it out, you know? We recorded it, we were finished, it was amazing. The whole album in like a week and a half. Yeah, and yeah. Um, DC Comics and Chocolate Milkshakes is one of my favourite tracks off that album, Eddie. And uh, that and a number of other things sort of link into your love of comic books, uh, which yeah, you've yeah. Uh, taken the opportunity to, to incorporate into your work. So uh, where did that, that interest stem from? I've always loved comics. I think since I was someone, I don't know who, maybe a friend of my mum's, pushed some Batman comics to my front door when I was about eight or nine. And I thought, this is like the 80s. These are, these are dark Batman comics. This is like, you know, heroin gangs being beaten up by Batman and stuff. But my mum didn't realise that because she'd only seen the 60s TV show. So I was like weekly getting these pretty intense Batman comics. <laughs> and like, I just loved it. I just loved Batman since then. And I really thought as a kid, oh no, like one day I have to give this up. You know, I have to mature and not like Batman anymore. Turns out you don't. <laughs> I still love Batman now. Brilliant. But um, yes, I've always, always loved comics, especially DC. Like Booster Gold is my favourite superhero. Um, 
DC is really good at on the TV, like the Flash show and stuff. Not so good at the films. <laughs> now, Eddie, I think me and well, I speak for myself. I don't, I don't know about Rich. Actually, maybe he has got a secret love of comic books. But uh, beyond Batman and Superman, I'm a bit sketchy. So, who, who did you say your favourite comic book character? Uh, uh, Booster Gold. Gold. Okay, so, so what's he do? He is. Um, <laughs> he's pretty eighties. He's from the future. He worked in a superhero museum, and right. um, as a security guard, he's a failed. He was an athlete. He's a like a football player who um. Was like got he was cheating on games betting on himself as so he works as a security guard in a superhero museum and he steals a time machine and a legionnaire flight ring and some other superhero bits and bobs and he comes back in time to the 80s to be a superhero to like for the fame to be like a famous guy who made money out of it and then over time he slowly gets a conscience and all this kind of stuff but he's been around forever and like he's not a particularly cool superhero and when we went to the deep because because of the song we got to go to the DC comic offices. They're like, who's your favorite? And I was like, Booster Gold. And they're like, really? <laughs> like everybody, no one could believe. The, like, really? Booster Gold? I'm like, yeah, he's the best. <laughs> my, my, Booster Gold's um, my best friend in the comics is Blue Beetle. And I'm, one of my best friends is Keith of the Pops. And like growing up, he loved Blue Beetle. Growing up, I love Booster Gold. We're like best friends. It's kind of like this weird symmetry. I quite like it. Great, magic of comic books. Yeah, well, maybe I'll have to go in there. Well, copies, Booster yeah. Gold, he did, um, they did like a, they sort of rebooted it a bit in like mm. 2005, 2006. Jeff Katz wrote it, it's brilliant, you should read that, it's really good. Good tip, good tip. <laughs> um, should we get back to the music? Because we can talk about uh, the <laughs> yeah. Wolf album as well. Because <laughs> 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 uh, Frank was on the, working on that one as well, wasn't he? Uh, brilliant Tragic, uh, which is May 2011. This is, you know, this is quite a um, sort of prolific output at this point, but... Um, just a couple of years later, the band embarked on a seven-year hiatus. So, Eddie, what happened from this, you know, putting out records pretty regularly to then suddenly sort of uh, print, hitting pause on the but band? Few, it's funny, because I had to go, because we reissued this album, we reissued this album, I had to go through a few um, old interviews and stuff. And I think the last interview I ever did, I'm like, back then, it was like, Art album every six months. <laughs> it's going to be like an Art <laughs> album, like every six months. Gonna blah, blah. And then, um, well, Mike and Jasper left, that's one thing. Got to find two new people. And then I moved to Berlin and had a son. And also I was really, I had a, I got sick. I had perinitis. So all of that stuff sort of together slowed us down. Yeah. So then, so then it wasn't until 2018 when a Wham Bang Pow Let's Rock Out came out. Um, mm -hmm. As you said, a couple of lineup changes, but how did that come back then uh, come about after that break? Oh, we, we didn't really mean to stop, you know? <laughs> it was like an accident. It's like, yeah, I mean, they'd all been writing music and sending it to me. So I'd just been too ill to do anything. And um, yeah, I mean, the song of the album called Hospital, about, about, it's about that, it's about me sort of nearly dying in hospital. And I wrote that in hospital, I, was on the, I fell over, I collapsed at one point in the hospital, because I was on so many drugs, in the bathroom, and I was like lying on the floor, naked, waiting for a nurse to pick me up. And this is the worst that I could, it's like my life has ever been. And I lying on the floor, I was like, wow, oh, when I get out of the hospital, I'm going to be unstoppable. It was like a mantra. I wrote like the song as a mantra to sort of get me through it. I slept for a month in hospital. And a half weeks, it's horrible. But yeah, so yeah, so I wrote that actually, and then yeah, and then as I slowly got better, like my mind started working. I thought, like, oh yeah, I remember now how to write songs. It sort of, it sort of came together really. And more time, you know, my son was older and stuff. So yeah, so you're fine, fit, fine, fit now though, Eddie. Um, yeah, hopefully, yeah, good. Because <laughs> <laughs> you, as you said, uh, as we said um, early on in this podcast, you're back on tour with the subways, weren't you, just before lockdown? 
Mm-hmm. Um, how, how was that experience back on stage, back playing those songs? And uh, yeah, we, we they didn't come down to didn't get down to London, but um, the reports that we saw were it was gone down very well those those, those shows. So we didn't get to London. We only did like six dates. It's been rescheduled yeah. for September, so I don't know what the score is in the UK. I'm hoping that happens. But um, yeah, it was great. You know, um, doing that. we had our own shows lined up too. We were going to announce some more shows and stuff after the subways, but not going to happen. Now. <laughs> it's like a, it's a shame. But then, yeah, it was it was great um, playing with them. Really good. You know, I love. I mean, I knew them back in the, my ex-girlfriend was in a band called the Shallows that toured with the Subways. But I met Subways then, but when they were kids. Yeah, it was just great being with them again. Billy and all those were such nice dudes. It was great. I'm, I was really getting into the shows. They were big audiences at the Subways. Yeah, hopefully I'll get to do it again soon when it comes back. Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, we, we spoke to Billy as well, and uh, yeah, he, he spoke very highly of, of, your, uh, of your slots and, and the, the shows as a whole. It was a really good tour, so hopefully you'll be able to pick those they up again. Brilliant. I mean, watching the Subways every night was brilliant. Yeah. yeah. I've, known the, man, I've known those guys for like... 15 years more, you know. I think I saw that like that first show at the garage and stuff. You know, I've known them, saw them play at the Buffalo Bar, you know, and listen to mm. I've known those guys or known of seen them play like for a long time. You know? Yeah, and they're, they're busy working on, on an album as well in lockdown, I believe. Um, so what's what's next for Art Brute in, in terms of uh, once we do come out of the other side of lockdown, is there going to be new material, further tours? Yeah, I'm writing at the moment. I've been writing quite a lot. I've got a big pile of lyrics now I need to record onto these demos here. So. Yes. Yeah, it's going pretty well. I can't wait to have no more seven-year gaps. Yeah. <laughs> it's the plan. <laughs> I think, yeah, we should have an album out next year is the plan, hopefully. Cool, yeah. Looking forward to this next chapter of Art Brute and the, uh, the new music. Um, Eddie, we've got final three questions for you in our encore. Um, we've, we've touched on your love of comic books and uh, that passion away from music, but we hear that you're also a bit of a keen painter as well. And I was wondering, what's your top tip for painters? Um We've got perhaps a bit of time on their hands at the moment. Just do or it. aspiring painters. Just, just do, do it. it. Just do it. I mean, I think, I mean, I grew up in part of a working class family in Bournemouth, you know, like I was thought, for other people, you know, oh, I shouldn't apply to art college, that's fair, you know. And I think eventually you just, just do it. Like being in a band, just do it, you know, don't pontificate or anything, just grab it and do it. You know? Like I'd still be rehearsing. Be, like with the painting, I always painted, and then Christian Chiller made a painting of mine be the cover for Formula Band, you know? Like, I, we'd still be rehearsing it wasn't for him. You don't need someone like him to push you, just do it. Go it, do it. Go and paint, go and be in a band, go and do it. Yeah, sound advice. Um, so second question in the encore, Eddie. Uh, can you pick out your favourite Art Brute gig? Ah, oh, I, I don't know, there's too many. <laughs> I, don't know, I love them all, I love them all. The playing with the horn section in London was pretty good when we did that. Like we had like a horn section playing behind us. They were playing. It felt really powerful to have like a trumpet and a, you know the whole thing behind you. I want it behind me like just when I speak, I want to argue with people. <laughs> <It's not so laughs> the horn section playing behind me. That was really good. Um, most of the shows in America were really good. We played a show um, once um, with Rebecca of Krauss in in America, and at one point the entire room fell over. <laughs> it was kind of amazing, like rocking out and we're like, <laughs> Just the touch down and carried on. That was kind of cool. Yeah, I, I like it. Every show is brilliant. I love that's my favourite thing about being in the band is, is life. You know, you can change all the lyrics up and it's in the moment, you know. Yeah, improvising. Yeah, just what you are, you right there, Eddie. Um, what about that tour in America? How did that compare to um, sort of playing those shoot those shows in London or uh, in, around England? Oh, uh, we always did sort of better in America. So the shows were always a bit bigger, which was kind of nice. Yeah, I, mean, I loved it. I mean it was I Touring America is my favourite thing, really. We go around the bus, 
over six weeks at the time. We played with the Hold Steady over there, who I love. We are oh, brilliant, yeah. Like good band, one, yeah. We did a Hold Steady tour with 1990s playing with us too. They're like my two favorite bands at the time. It was like the best six weeks ever. It was great, you know. So, yeah, I mean, and we spent so much time in America. We spent like, because Pitch, the website Pitchfork really liked us, and that kind of helped us over there. I think. We've, one year we played in Chicago like 13 times or something. You know, we just pretty much were Americans. You know, it's always there. And no one would believe us. There's no, not much internet then. Where have you been, Eddie? I've been crying America for six weeks. No, you haven't. <laughs> I have, I have, I promise. Yes. Yeah, so maybe, maybe, maybe not big in Japan, but big in America. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question of the encore, Eddie. Um, looking back at your music, what's the song you're proudest of that you've done with Art Brute? Uh, we have a song called Post Soothing Out that I really like. We have with quite a lot. Uh, it's hard to choose one, actually, but mm. there's a lot in that. I, mean, I, I took that song. I, did, I wrote a musical a few years ago um, with, with, with the girlfriend, the ex-girlfriend that song's about. We played it together and stuff. She'd speak about our relationship and I'd sing about our relationship. I don't know, it's just a really, that song was just, I don't know. I, I really like honesty in songs, like to be very honest. And that song's probably as honest as I get in a song, I think. It's pretty raw, that one. I like that, but yeah, that one. Everything on the new album, go and buy the new album. Go and buy the new album, everything on the new album. Brilliant stuff, Eddie. Well, it's been uh, it's been really really enjoyable chatting to you. Uh, many a good story uh, from Art Brute's journey. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much for joining us on the Boys in the Band podcast this week. Um, and best of luck coming out the other side of lockdown and getting back in, in the studio and up on stage soon. I hope. Oh, all right, thank you. Okay. Bye. <laughs>